best League of Ireland podcast in the business. This is Off The Ball. Hey, it's Jamie Moore here. You're very welcome to the Off The Ball League of Ireland podcast with you on offtheball.com every Wednesday. And also, you can watch the interviews on youtube.com forward slash offtheball. Coming up over the next hour or so, we're going to be joined in studio in just a second by Paul Ozam, who's the Ireland under-16 manager and also a League of Ireland legend with St. Pat's and a short spell as well with Shamrock Rovers. We'll hear from the new Cork City head coach, Neil Fenn, on why he's left Longford Town to join Cork and why John Cotter, who was the assistant manager with John Caulfield for the last number of years and most recently interim first-team manager, announced yesterday on Twitter that he'd actually left the club. And Martin Russell will join us in studio along with his son, Sean, and we'll hear from the Limerick Supporters Trust with some breaking news on the outstanding bill for Sean Russell's operation. We'll react to Harry Kenny's departure from St. Pat's as well and bring you the quarter-final draw for the FAI Cup. That's all on the way on the League of Ireland podcast. So let's get the show on the road and welcome Ozo to the studio. Paul, how are you? I'm good, Jamie. Thanks very much. Thanks many for coming in. No problem at all. So let's talk about your current job first. Ireland under-16 head coach slash manager and you've gone from being a player to working for the FAI and, and being a manager now and you're working in coach education too. How would you describe your, your job with the 16s? Um, it's a challenging job. Um, it's not. It's not unlike club football. I don't have access to the players, you know, every day. That comes with challenges. It's a very enjoyable job, a very exciting job, and it's a very rewarding job as well. I would say, and I'm very honoured to be in the position to be able to manage a national team. Yeah, you mentioned there that you don't have the players all the time because clearly they're with their clubs and they've got school, and some of them are based in the UK as well. So, how often do you actually get access to them to, to work with them? Depends on the, the amount of events we have throughout the year. The calendar is normally set at probably four events, which would be a Victory Shield, um, a UEFA Development Tournament, and two other events, which we just came back from one recently, which was a, a three-team tournament in the UK, and one other, tournament, one other event, which may well be a doubleheader. We have some access at the early part of our season, which is uh, June to June is the international season. So we, we generally would have uh, training camps, um, friendly games against National League teams, U17 League teams, um, to prepare the players for the season. So we, all in all, we, we could have up to 30 contact days in the year, depending on, on, on the year and depending on what events we have. Yeah, you're just back from the UK as well, and you played against Denmark and England in the second game. England, you drew three all and beat them like 10-9 on penalties or something outrageous. I'm sure you were a very calm influence on the sideline when it was going to so far into sudden death. Yeah, it was 11-10. I thought we were going to be there. I thought we were going to miss a miss a flight. <laughs> it went on for that long, but uh, it was great for the boys, great for the, the for the kids. You know, it was part of their development to experience the joy, I suppose, of, of winning a game against the, your arch rivals, really, in, in England um, on, in a penalty shootout. But there's more to it than that. It's about their overall development and their learning through this age group when they go on to 17s, 19s, 21s, and hopefully onto the senior team at some stage. Yeah, and we've seen in, in recent years the Ireland under 17s and 19s doing very, very well in European Championships. Most recently, the 17s hosted it here in Ireland, and the 19s made it all the way to the semi finals in, in Armenia and, you know, had a fantastic few weeks there and lots of those players would have come through Jason Dunne who's 15s and you're under 16s too and those two years are the first years where they have international football which really gets them ready for 17s which is the first competitive year as such. Mm. Yeah it's, it's true it even goes back further than that to, to the Emerging Talent Programme and uh, we, have, we have national assessment squads now at U14 so there's, there's a lot of work being put in and you know the fruits are, are being seen now you mentioned the under 17s the, uh, they've got to the, the qualifying of the European Championships, the 0-1 group and the 0-0 group, and, and they went through unbeaten. Um, qualifying two years in a row, last year we hosted it. Uh, you know, done really, really well. And you mentioned Tom's team getting to the semi-final of the uh, U19 European Championships, went through the whole qualifying uh, stages and the elite phase, winning every game. So, 
you've got the 21s then, the Toulon tournament doing really well and, and you know, f falling at the, the semi-final against Brazil. So there's, there's lots of work being done and yeah, it starts, starts, it starts with the clubs, it starts with the, the grassroots clubs. The elite players come in to us then, you know, through the FAI pathway and then they go through, as you said, Jason, myself, Colley, uh, Andy Reid now, it was Jim Crawford with the, with the 18s, into Tom and then onto Stephen and, and, and hopefully into the, into the senior team. So it's all good, there's been a lot, lot of positives, a lot of really good results against top nations at underage level over the last number of years, so it's, it's all good. Yeah, we've just seen an image on screen, David, you just uh, popped the one up again of uh, Paul to your left there and Troy Parrott, one of the, the young players who's there's a lot of hype around him at the moment and he's a very, very good young player who would have played for you. What are the challenges as an, as an international coach in working with these players who've moved to the UK and, and Troy's just an example that there's plenty more who are playing well, they're around their first team, they're very famous on Instagram and Twitter and stuff, but at the same time they need to focus on, on being young footballers. It is a challenge. I, I, I probably didn't really experience that at the age group I'm at because they're not gone to the UK at that stage. A lot of them are still you know, connected with UK clubs and they know they're going to go. I think if they've got a good grounding you know, from their from the home, first of all, um, hopefully if they're in that, that position, from the clubs, certainly when they come in with the international groups, they, they'll, there'll be a culture set within that of high performance. And there are challenges because you know the young boys, they, they haven't really done anything yet. I know Troy's been really he's an exceptionally good player and he's, he's close to sports first team. He's probably the exception. Well, there's a lot of other boys who don't get that opportunity that young and they're, they're stuck in that kind of rut in first team, sorry, in U18, U23 in the UK. And it can be very frustrating for them and then challenging when they, when they come into the the international team, they may not have been playing competitively for for a long time, It'd be more with the 19s and 21s, so there are massive challenges. I don't really experience them, haven't really experienced them at the, at the age group time at the, at, the, at the moment. And you mentioned as well about uh, the 17s being the first kind of time where they play competitive football, but with you they play in the Victory Shield, which is a tournament between the home nations as such, with Ireland, Northern Ireland, Scotland, the UK. Um, we've just seen you there with the, the Victory Shield trophy. You won it two years in a row, a couple of years ago too, and that's something, it's a, it's a friendly tournament, but it's very competitive because you're playing against the countries around you and you know those games are a really good test for the boys and you've managed to come out on top in two of the last three years. Yeah, we were fortunate to, to do that, but I mean, just going back to your, your first point, every game is competitive, you know, there's not a competitive probably title on, on the U16 events, um, although the Victory Shield is probably the exception, but every game, every player wants to win every game. I want to win every game as a coach, but sometimes the objective for me is not to win the game, it's probably to develop the players. So it's, it's great when, when you can marry both, and which we, we are fortunate enough to do for two years in the Victory Shield, where the focus wasn't on winning the Victory Shield. Don't get me wrong, we wanted to do that, but the focus was on, on developing the players and preparing them for that um, competitive age of U17. And I think it's been a fantastic um, addition to our, um, our, our path for the, for the players that we play in the, in the Victory Shield, because prior to that, the players wouldn't have experienced that competitive nature of, of competition football. Yeah, now I was lucky enough to be at a presentation you gave a couple of years ago on the Victory Shield and it was like a behind-the-scenes look as to how the week works for the players. And just for people watching and listening, you might just explain how an international week works from when they arrive to when they leave because it really is all bases covered for them from everything, really. I mean, it's, you know, people probably wouldn't understand it, realise it, and I didn't until I started working in the environment, but there's a massive amount of work goes in, firstly, to putting together an itinerary. Like, it's not just done haphazardly. Everything is taken into consideration, the rest time, the travel time. The, the time it takes the bus to get to, to training, you know, um, the food, what we eat, when we eat, why, why all this is, and it's, it's, it's all, it's all scrutinised by high performance people within the international department then, <clears throat> and that's the starting point, so then we have an, an intensive um, itinerary for the week, and the, of course the focus of that is the training sessions and, and the matches, there's rest time in, in there, and 
the players, we, we look at the players loading, we contact their clubs before they come in to see what loading they've had. Every session is tailored so that it hits certain targets. Um, lots and lots of meetings, lots of, lots of um, analysis with the players, staff meetings, team meetings. There's, there's a massive amount of work that goes on and, and the reality is like my day as an international team manager when we go away is you're up at 8 o'clock in the morning and like, you're lucky if you're going to bed by 11 o'clock that night. They're long intense days with, with very little rest periods in there because there's so much to be done in, in such a short period of time. But, but I mean I wouldn't swap it, it's, it's fantastic. Yeah, one thing I found very interesting was when you worked with the players in, in smaller groups and you gave them flip chart pages and, and you asked them to work on different tasks or questions, whether that be on tactics or on rules for the group or on their ambitions and stuff, and then they come back and they speak to the whole group and they put their charts on the, their flip chart pages on the wall and it's kind of their work that you're helping to facilitate, which at a young age, I'm sure, is, is something that they're kind of probably really doing for, for the first time properly. Yeah, I just feel for, for, I don't know, you know, I haven't worked with all the players really, but it's something I think that would work with any age group, but it's just empowering players, it's giving them responsibility for, for on the pitch and off the pitch behaviours, let's say, they're setting the boundaries, so there's no ambiguity, there can't be any, any discussions about what they can and can't do, and they've decided them things. And also when we're analysing games, we let them watch the videos of the opposition or our own performance and see what they see and, and inadvertently they see exactly what we see as experienced coaches and, and believe me not, sometimes they see more and that's just the reality of it but I think it's a great learning tool for players to be able to look at video and see what they can extract from that and what they can build on then and how they can improve by looking at the video of themselves. Yeah now I know at the moment the environment around the FAI is, is a little bit hostile in terms of stuff that's going on you know above the level of the football people but from a football point of view we've spoken briefly about the achievements of the teams and you're also working in coach education and I've been through the courses there and they're top class and there's so much you've also worked as a development officer there's so much really good football stuff going on that maybe a little bit has been forgotten in recent weeks and months but that's one of the reasons I wanted to speak to you just to highlight the good players the good coaches the good people involved in the football side of things. Well, that's what I am. You know, I'm, I'm a football person. You know, I'm employed to do a job, as you said, in coach education and trying to develop um, young underage international footballers. So what goes on outside of that, you know, I've no effect on, and it's it's not really for me to say, you know, comment on that. But certainly, from perspective of coach education, I think it's massive. I think there's been huge strides in coach education over the last number of years. The quality of coaches coming coming through the system is fantastic, and that's great for us because. When the players come in to me now, I've noticed over the last couple of years, particularly with the, the U15, now the U13 National League, that the players are getting really good coaching at club level and it makes our jobs an awful lot easier when players are coming in with good education on the game and good knowledge of the game and a good understanding of the, the different systems of play. So I think it's all in a very, very good place and maybe some of it has been you know, missed because of other, other activities, but the reality is the facts are the facts and, and, and the teams are doing really, really well. Yeah, and when you would have first taken the job as head coach of the 16s, the youngest League of Ireland Academy age would have been 17, so they were coming from their schoolboy clubs around the country and maybe a couple of UK lads who had grandparents or whatever it might be, but now the League of Ireland starts at 13 and then there's under 15, which is possibly for you three or four years of them in a League of Ireland yeah. club. And we had a few representatives from the schoolboy clubs in recently just talking about the impact that that had on their clubs, but the impact it's having on the international teams, I'm sure, has to be a positive that the best young players are, are in League of Ireland clubs, they're getting used to buses and food and travel but also, when they come into you, they've had a couple of years in, in an environment that is probably a little bit more, more uh, I suppose, testing for them, really. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a very valuable point, and I've certainly seen the fruits over the last number of years. I mean, it's, 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 it doesn't, you, know, you don't need to be a rocket scientist to work out that if you're training and playing with, the, with better players, it's going to challenge you more, it's going to make you have to make better decisions, quicker decisions, be more, be more precise with your actions as well. So the players have, have improved massively. 
I've seen it, you know, my own, my own two eyes in, in a lot of cases. Um, and it's it's great now looking at the, um, you know, when I'm picking a squad, there's players from Finn Harps, there's players from Wexford Youths, players from Shamrock Rovers, St. Pat's, Bohemians, and it's a spread. And it's great to see that our National League is now providing those players. I think that's been a massive um, influence on the performances of our underage players because the coaches at the clubs, you know, are great and we've got, we've got great communication with coaches at clubs and we've just come back from the UK and I'll give feedback to the coaches from every club and it's refreshing that when I'm giving them feedback they're saying they're the exact things we see and they're the things we're working on with the players so it's all in a good place, it's great harmony between the international managers and the club managers. You're on the Off The Ball League of Ireland podcast. It's Jamie Moore here in studio with Ireland Under-16 manager Paul Ozan, who's also, it's fair to say, a League of Ireland legend, played for St. Pat's from 1988 until 2004 with a short spell with Shamrock Rovers in the middle. And Paul, St. Pat's are celebrating the 90th birthday this weekend. I know you're going to be there and you had some amazing times at that club. How would you kind of look back now? You know, you retired a decent while at this age and you're, you're into coaching as your time in, on your time, should I say, as a League of Ireland player. It's a bit of a blur, Jamie. It seems like a previous life, you know. I would say it, was, it wasn't that long ago, but it seems like a long, long time ago. But I enjoyed, really enjoyed it. I mean, I have fantastic memories of, of St. Pat's that will stay with me forever. Winning league titles, you know, the fans down in Inchy Court, the whole community kind of environment around, around the club at the time. You know, we've had some, some ups and downs throughout the years. I can remember the club nearly going out of existence when we were playing Harold's Cross and it was struggling at wages. and. We'd no home and then we moved back to Inchicore and great years there and just so many really good, happy memories of, of my playing days at, at the club. Yeah, and there was a time when the League of Ireland was a little different in terms of you know, stuff away from the football, but the football then, the types of players in the league, there were some fantastic managers you know, working in the league at the time and I'm sure it was a great league to play in and a very competitive one because you were involved in lots of, lots of league title races and cup runs and you know, it was a good time to be a footballer in, in this country. Yeah, it was, the, it was probably a little bit different. It was probably, I may say, less tactical in, when I played. You know, there wasn't as much emphasis on... Uh, most teams played a 4-4-2 and there wasn't huge variances on that. And you've got all these different 3-5-2s, although we did play 3-5-2 at Liam at one stage, at Liam Buckley. But generally it was just a matchup, and it was a lot more physical, I would, I would feel. Well, that's what it was at the time. And, you know, to be challenging for titles at that time, you, you, everything is relative. And, you know, we, we had really, really successful years and really good managers. I mean, played under a lot of good managers at St. Pat's and had to play against a lot of really good players of, of that time. And it was, it was a really, really, it's part of my life for a long, long period and it's something that I'll always cherish. Five league titles, Paul, or six? This is a, a question that different people have different answers to because officially it's five, but, and there's a great photo of you there in the old uh, St. Pat's autoglass kit <coughs> for people who are watching the podcast, but you finished top for another season, but didn't win the league, is, is that the story? Well, I don't know, you tell me, I mean, you have to. Um, no, to be, to be honest with you, yeah, one of the years um, there was an administrative error with regard to some players' registration, um, and we won the league with the amount of points we accumulated, but we were deducted then, I think it was 10 points um, for the, the administrative error, so I think it was, it was Shelbourne were awarded the league that year, so look, it doesn't matter to me, you know, really, honestly, it doesn't matter. I couldn't even tell you where my league medals are, so. It's not a case of material things or what somebody said or what somebody done or you forgot to sign this form or this form wasn't sent in. If you ask me, I would say I played in the best team for six seasons um, with St. Pat's. So have I got six league medals? No, but did I play in the best team for six seasons? Absolutely, yes. Yeah, interesting uh, outlook and a very good uh, answer on that one. Um, the people you meet and the people you met across that time, and you'll, you'll be with them all again this Saturday at the anniversary, and the links you, you forge with them, whether they be managers, whether they be 
teammates, whether they be you know staff, and we saw this week with the Michael Locker Davis testimony, which I know you were you were at that, you know. You've forged these relationships with people that go on years later and, and now you're managing the Irish 16 and you might meet someone on a coaching course, you might meet someone out watching a game and you played with them 20 years ago and once you're talking to them for one minute it's as if you're back 20 years ago and you're best mates with them again. Can be. I think in football it's, it's quite fickle. I think a lot, of, a lot of friendships, early friendships in football are, are just acquaintances. I don't really have a huge amount of what a class is friends from a playing, from a playing days of lots of people who I know and, Lots of people have spent lots of time about forging real friendships through football. I don't know how, how you know how accurate that really is. I could probably count on one hand the amount of people who would say he's a friend of mine from when I played. And maybe that's just me. Maybe it was insular or something. I don't know. But um, lots of people that you know and lots of memories. And yeah, absolutely meet people and they remember you from playing or you played with them or they were supporters. So there's lots of attachments, but friendships I don't really know. Yeah, we had Keith Tracy in the seat you're sitting in last week, and Keith's a former Sympaths player as well, but like, played for Ireland, made his debut against Lionel Messi in the Viva, and played in the Premier League at 21, and he spoke about you know, his life away from football, and he openly admitted that he was an alcoholic, and he's clean now a couple of years, and, and wants to go back playing football. And that culture of, of drinking in, in England was also quite prevalent here, and I know you've spoken about that before, about you know, the stuff away from football, but it didn't seem to affect the football. And these were still such good teams and such good players, even though you maybe enjoyed the, the bus on the way home from Cork or whatever, a few drinks most weekends. But once you're there training and playing, you were well on it. Yeah, but the thing is, like, you wouldn't get away with that nowadays because other people aren't doing it. Probably when, when I was playing, they were all doing it, so everything was relative. If you had a, a skin full of points on a Friday night, there was every chance that, you know, somebody on the opposition team may be doing the same thing. So it wasn't, you know, it was a level kind of playing field. So. Certainly nowadays you, you wouldn't get away with it, and yeah, I mean, we didn't enjoy ourselves. Let's say, and I can, you know, I can remember. I think we went the full season away from home unbeaten, and and the reason for that was we we made a kind of a pact at the start that if we if we didn't lose a game away, sorry, if we lost a game, a game away from home, we wouldn't have a few drinks on the way home. We wouldn't stop or wouldn't have a few drinks in the bus. So that was our kind of goal: don't 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 lose a game, or you know, don't draw a game. Sorry, don't lose a game because we won't have our little reward. So silly now looking back on it but that's the way it was in them days and it probably helped us win the league Yeah and they say there's no better place than a winning changing room or a winning bus if you're going on you know, home from a, a big win you know, somewhere that isn't in Dublin and then you have the few drinks and the music is on and I'm sure those moments when you think back about the crack you had and the laughs you had with those people given it's a great result you've had your reward and you're on that 3-4 hour bus home the roads then weren't as good as they are now and you're, you're having a proper proper kind of you know lads party on the bus because yeah. you won a big game That wasn't that bad now Jamie wasn't I wouldn't go into party mode with it. No, we, we, we enjoyed ourselves, yeah. And it's like, it's, it's a lonely place, you know, a, a losing dressing room any time. And, and especially down when you're adding in, as you say, in them days, it could be a four-hour bus journey back from, from the likes of Derry or Finn Harps or even Cork was, a, was a, an awful long journey in them days. So, yeah, it was a much better feeling if you were winning. And really, like, you know, I'll make a, a parallel between that and drinking. But you, you didn't want to lose games because you didn't want to be sitting on a, a moping bus for three to four hours on the way home from wherever it was. So, luckily enough for, for me in my career, I don't remember a huge amount of really sombre journeys back home. There were, a few, there were some, obviously, but there was more good ones than, than bad ones. Yeah, I'm sure one thing, Paul, you do remember is your heart attack that you had a few years ago and you're looking great, you're fully healthy again now and, and that was a scary time. You came on our, our sports show on 90 FM a few years ago to kind of Tell us about that. So, not going to go fully into that story because I want to talk about you know how we are now and, and the changes you made to your life now. But just for people that didn't hear that, just remind people of of what happened to you and how close you came to not being sitting here beside me now. 
when it was six years ago now, I think um, I, just, I was feeling fine and then just suddenly I, I got some kind of a feeling in my throat where I thought I was having some kind of an ingestion for a couple of days and <clears throat> it was weird like and uh, didn't had no idea what it was and then one morning I just I woke up and I felt really unwell and um, I passed out and um, I, w I woke up again then and an ambulance came and um, I was rushed to hospital and I had had a heart attack um, and luckily the artery had reopened slightly and there was some blood getting into the heart that kept me alive but I was I was, t I was statistically, I was one of 20% of people who survived the particular kind of heart attack I had. So, at the time, I was, uh, you know, felt it was extremely, extremely lucky. But then you can flip that and say you're extremely unlucky for it to happen in the first place. So it was, it was a rough time. Um, I had one stent put in, and it was a really rough, rough time for me um, personally. For I'd say up to two years, where you know, you're reflecting on things, and you're not really living in in in, in the moment because you're. Your mind is somewhere else. So, thankfully, you now the support, me, particularly my wife Regina um, and, and my family, time moves on, and I think t you know time's a great healer for everything. So, you kind of you just get better, I suppose you know psychologically because it's it's very very tough. Um, I, I won't deny that, but thankfully I've overcome it, and I just live each day now. I've, you know, I've no concerns about my health, although you know I have a stent, and there's a possibility of of of, of something happening again, but. I just try and eliminate all um, risk factors as such. Um, I mean, it was genetic. It was just a genetic predisposition I was born with. So it wasn't really from a lifestyle I mean, eating or, you know, drinking. I did smoke. You know, I'd, I'd advise anybody who smokes not to smoke because it's it's, it's not healthy. I haven't smoked since um, the day I had the heart attack. Um, I try and eat as healthy as I can. I try and exercise as much as I can. Drink plenty of water. All the things that you know you should be doing, I suppose, to to live to live healthily and and. And have a, a, um, an illness-free, free life, which I think is what everybody wants. Yeah, and you're also still in contact with the League of Ireland in terms of your son Evan, who plays for UCD. He's out injured at the moment, and he, we spoke to him actually in your front room a few months ago. He ruptured his Achilles tendon in the first last session before the first game of the season, and you follow him around the country to watch UCD and, and on a Friday night with your wife Regina, and you're, you're his two biggest fans. And there's a great photo of him as a kid when you were a Pats player, lifting a trophy, and now it's come full circle, and you're supporting him and watching him playing in the league, no matter where it is in the country, and, and cheering him on, but you're not one who really says too much on the, on the, on the stands, you just let him play and, and off he goes. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's great to see your, your son playing, you know, at any level of football, if they're fortunate enough or talented enough to play at a high level, it's, it's probably more rewarding, but haven't been able to do an awful lot of that lately over the last year or so, because as you say, he ruptured his Achilles tendon and had quite a bad injury a couple of years ago as well, but very proud of him. He's, he's he's a good kid, and you know he's no trouble. He's he's been a great kid all his life. So just I do feel sorry for him at times, and probably the wrong face. Feel sorry. I just feel frustrated for him that you know he hasn't been able to play as much football over the last number of years as, as he would have liked. And I just hope that you know he's 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 almost back to full full recovery now, full fitness, having ruptured his Achilles. So I just hope he gets a run at it where you know, I don't I don't really care where he ends up playing or what what he ends up achieving in the game. Um, I'm sure he's ambitious still himself, but. I just hope he gets a run where he can play football for a long number of years without, without any injuries. Yeah, and I know he knows how good his dad was as a player too, and you're clearly very uh, much educated in the football management side of things now. So, have you been helping him with his with rehab, whether that be you know out for runs or with the ball, or, or just you know if he has any questions on on you know parts? I know he's had a knee injury before, but on parts of the process, you know you're probably very well placed to to help him. 
Yeah, I wouldn't really. I mean, he's he's smart enough to, to follow protocol. You know, he and he's studying physio, of course. And he's studying physio, so he, he'd have he'd have a fair idea of the do's and don'ts. But I mean, he's 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 professional in, in, in his approach to everything, so he'll do what he's told with regard to the physios and, and the, the specialists and the surgeons and that kind of thing. So I wouldn't interfere in that. Like I might just check in with him every now and then and see is everything going okay, you feeling okay in that, and more psychologically because it has to be tough for for any player to have two serious. Um, really serious injuries in such a short period of time so you've got to look at that side of it as well Yeah we're going to speak to Sean Russell just after you in a second about his uh, battle with injuries too as well Paul Lassie the future if you were to take a crystal ball out and say you know in terms of ambitions to manage is it to manage in the League of Ireland to stay in, in the Irish underage teams to, to move up the ladder there and stuff there's always League of Ireland jobs on the go and you've, you've been around the league such a long time um, I'm sure you'd do a great job if you were a League of Ireland manager. Is that something that might be on your agenda in the future? No, not presently. I, I really, really enjoy the international uh, football. It's, it's so challenging. It's 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 unforgiving if you're not prepared to the to, to the to the to the hilt. It's you'll get punished. Um, would I like to manage a club level? <sighs> Currently, no. I'd like to manage maybe you know at, at a, a, another age group in in, on, in international football, whether it be U17, U19, U21, because I really enjoy that environment. I think club football is is a, is a different challenge, and it's you know it's 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 more demanding in ways, but it's probably more forgiving in other ways. But for the pri for the for the time being, I'm happy doing what I'm doing. But I wouldn't rule out in the future. Um, you know, I feel I'm not going any further in this international football. I've I, I, you know I'm going stale at this. I want a new challenge. Yeah, by all means, I would never close the doors to, to doing something like that. And apart from that, you're uh, on the road to becoming a pro golfer. Myself and Paul played a game of golf recently, and. Uh, He's very good. Waxed the ball quite long. He's about six foot six, and uh, it was, uh, I'm only starting golf. And you weren't very nice to me on the golf course. You you, you took me money and off you went. <laughs> uh, look, Jamie. I think um, you know the only. Can I say this? Yeah. The only yeah. the only number you know is eight. <laughs> Every hole. What did you have there, Jamie? I had eight. Now that eight, you know, was probably twelve if we're being honest. But <laughs> oh, look, it's, it's enjoyable, and I think that's you know you need to get out and enjoy yourself as well. So. That's not true. I wasn't getting eights. I was getting sixes, sevens, <laughs> eights, nines. Oh, thanks a million for coming in. Uh, best luck for the rest of the international season, and we'll see you soon. Cheers. Okay, cheers, Jamie. Thank you. Off the Balls League of Ireland podcast. Hey, it's Jamie Moore here. You're on the Off the Ball League of Ireland podcast with you on OffTheBall.com every Wednesday. Very happy to welcome the new Cork City head coach Neil Fenn to the show. Who joins us on the phone. Fenn, good afternoon. How are you? Hi, Jamie. I'm good. Thanks. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for meeting me. We're having a look at an image of you on screen with your uh, Cork City scarf around your neck and a football around you when you were announced as the the new uh, Cork City manager. So, how does it feel to, to have a new job? Yeah, it, you know, it's fantastic. It's it's a club that, that I had three fantastic years as a player. Um, never thought I would I'd get the chance to manage them, but I have, and I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, just explain to us how the last week has worked, Neil, because I was at, of course, your former Longford manager. I was at your game against Shelburne on, on Saturday, and that turned out to be your your last game in charge. And the news kind of broke on Sunday that that Cork City might be about to to confirm you as manager. And eventually, you resigned from Longford, and and you were in Galway to watch Cork knock out the cup on, on Friday before you were announced this week. So, how has the last kind of week, ten days worked for you? Yeah, it's a bit of a blur, really. It's, you know, the game came on on Saturday against Shells. Obviously, very disappointing. Um, Shells, you know, with a better team on the day, probably. And then um, took training on Tuesday, you know, that, that was fine. And then heard on Wednesday that the club had been trying to contact Longford in, in regard to getting to maybe speaking to me. And, and once I knew that, then there was only one option. I had to, if I wanted to speak to them, um, Longford and, and Cork would have to come to an agreement. And they eventually did. And I'm glad they did and got it sorted. So I'm, I'm happy to be here. 
Yeah, of course, in all of these things, Neil, when a manager leaves a club to go to another club, the, the previous club's fans and, and stuff are very disappointed and some of them you know, voice their frustration on, on social media and, and stuff like that as to why you made the decision you did. But I suppose even from your own point of view, you put up a tweet during the week just to explain that you felt the Cork job was too good to turn down and I know you did leave Longford with a heavy heart. Yeah, of course, it was it was a very difficult decision, but you know it's it's uh, a chance to manage in the Premier Division. It's a it's full time football, um, and you know you, these jobs don't come around very often. It's, it's, you know, John Crawford, the previous manager, was there for five or six years. Um, and Bradley's been in charge of Shamrock Rovers for three or four years. Keith Long, three or four years. So these types of jobs don't come up very often, and. Once you hear of an interest, you know you have to make a difficult decision, and it was a very difficult decision. But I think I can be proud of the job I did at Longford and, and left them in a, in a healthy position um, and fighting for the playoffs. Yeah, I think maybe the main thing that's interesting, Neil, here is the timing because given the first division season is only three rounds of fixtures, there's only actually three matches left. And had Longford beaten Shelburne last Saturday, they would have been two points off the top with three games left. They're still within a chance, and more than likely make the playoffs too. And, and that's a chance to, to go up to the Premier League, and that could have been. You know, a really good end to the work you'd done there, given you were at the club last season as well. But from that point of view, you probably couldn't control the timing, even though the fans are disappointed that you've gone at the business end of their season. No, it was it was it was obviously made clear that Cork were looking for somebody straight away. Um, they needed to a lot of players out of contract, a lot of players um, they want to tie down. Some they, they they want they need to get in. So, and obviously the threat of you know possible relegation or possible. Um, playoff place for them, and they didn't want to get sucked into that. So I can see what, what both sides are trying to say. It was it was it was a difficult difficult situation for everyone involved. But I'm just glad it got resolved, and, and you know I can put it behind me. It's done. Um, Longford wished me well, which I'm very happy about. I wish them well, and we can move on. Yeah, you've taken your first couple of sessions as the Cork manager, Neil. We're speaking on Wednesday afternoon, and you were also able to watch them knocked out of the FAI Cup by. Galway last Friday 1-0 in Eamon Deasy Park a surprise result really and I think you spoke afterwards about you know you, you felt that that was quite a disappointing performance what was your assessment of that game and I know when you're managing in the first division you don't always get to see the Premier apart from maybe some clips on Twitter you, you had a chance to watch your new team live in the flesh on Friday yeah first of all the first thing I would say is that Galway played very well they were they defended very well they, they scored a goal from a set piece and defended very well and, and hit Cork on a counter attack which was, which was obviously their game plan and they they did really well there, so I think Alan Murphy should get good credit. Um, I know a lot of people have said Cork didn't play well, but Galway played very well, so credit to them straight away. But I thought the Cork team looked like they were lacking a little bit of confidence, as you would. Um, the first 20 minutes, I thought they played quite well, passed the ball quite well, created a couple of chances, and then when it didn't happen, they kind of got a, got gone into their shells a little bit, didn't really pass the ball very well, didn't really take any risks, and um, and, and couldn't open up Galway in the end. Yeah, and your style of play, Neil, as a player and as a manager is to play a passing brand of football. And I know the people in charge of Cork have said that one of the reasons they appointed you was because they want Cork to play a, a brand of football that, that they feel is, is maybe more progressive than John Cotter. And before him, John Coffey would have played, even though under John Coffey they got fantastic results. And that's something I'm sure you'll have to do hard work on the training pitch, given lots of the players have been used to maybe playing a little more direct to, to work maybe on, on playing the ball out from the back, if it's on, of course. Yeah, but we, we will try and do that. But, you know... The most important thing that that that's left is a winning mentality from from John Caulfield. You know they had unbelievable success um, under him, cup finals, league league titles, doubles. So that's the that's the first thing I want to try and recreate is a, is a winning mentality, which has been lost this season anyway. So that's something I need to get back and then put my own stamp on things, whether that's passing or whatever. We just need to need to get lads into a winning mentality and trying to win some matches for this season at least. Yeah. Now one thing as well that managers often do, Neil, is 
is they apart from sign new players is they determine who's going to be on their staff and I think it was a little unclear this week if John Cotter who was John Caulfield's assistant and most recently the, the caretaker manager was going to stay on board and I think from the press conference the other day it looked like he, he was but he, he put up a tweet last night to say that, that he'd left the club so he's not going to be on your staff No John you know it was obviously very difficult for Johnny to work for John Caulfield for so long um, me and John get on well we were on a pro license together so he just felt he needed a, a day or two to think about you know, think about things, and then he said that he he couldn't um, he could have continued, and he, he wished us well, and, and he and he moved on. So um, at the moment, Liam Carney is is my assistant at the moment, and he's, he's he's very good at his job. Yeah, and of course, yourself and John Neil both on the UEFA Pro License too, and this has been an issue in the league for for last couple of seasons. In, in that, whether it be yourself when you were at Longford or Tim Clancy at Drogheda, Ian Morris at Shells, if you got promoted to the Premier, you don't have a, a Pro License to do it but I understand those rules might be about to be relaxed in January so if you're on the course which you are you will be able to be a manager even though for example in Cork they've had to keep Frank Kelleher involved or they had to anyway up till now because he's a pro license so what's your understanding of that and, and how that'll work next year like will you actually be, be the manager in name or, or will Frank have to stay there on the team sheet until you do actually finish the pro um, I think you know, I've heard rumours about that as well but until you see something come out about the fact that you don't you, can, you only have to be on your you only have to be on the pro license. Then I think it will continue as it is. Frank's a Frank's a good guy. He's a cool city fanatic. Fanatic. He's been around the club for years. They they love him down there. So if Frank stays on, that's that's brilliant. If if I can be the if I can be the manager and, and Frank still wants to stay on, that's great too. So we, listen, we're we're across that bridge when it comes to it. At the moment, it's um, we don't know anything about the rules. So I'd imagine it will continue as it is. Neil, our final two questions. Two home games this week, Friday and Monday. What a great start to life as a Cork manager, having two matches in turn across you. Host Sligo Rovers this Friday. The last time Cork played Sligo, I was actually down in Cork for the weekend. I went to the game and the crowd was quite poor and, and the game was awful, if I'm honest. And from then, you go to Monday and you're also at home to Waterford. Two games against teams in the bottom half of the table. You'd be hopeful for two good results and, and I suppose, a good start to your tenure as gaffer there. Yeah, well... <laughs> After what you just said, it can only get better, right? Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. You know, we, we learn. Yeah, always a little bit of a bounce and a bit, a little bit of a lift when a new manager comes in, and the, the lads have been great in training over the last few days. So, from what I can see, you know, the lads are buzzing for it. They can't wait to get going. So, like I say to them, they've got the best job in the world playing football, and and, and certainly in Turner's Cross, it gives you a great platform to do that with fantastic fans. So, you know, go out and express yourselves. Go out and enjoy yourselves. Your, your, your football career is short. Um, and you need to make the most of it while you got it. So go out there and express yourself and enjoy yourself. Great stuff, Neil Fenn. As always, thanks a million. The best luck with your new job. And I can't wait to see your sideline attire on Friday. I really hope you're going to go for it in your first uh, match as Cork manager. <laughs> thanks, Jamie. I'll, I'll look forward to seeing what you're wearing as well, yeah. I'm actually in a nice uh, shirt here. You can't see me. I'm in a nice shirt and stuff. And uh, the picture of you on screen is in your lovely blue suit. And you claim you were wearing socks for the photo shoot, even though I don't think you were. And you're trying to be a 21-year-old as opposed to a mid-40s uh, uh, manager. They were, they was, it was a lovely day in court. My feet were hot. I was <laughs> driven down that day, so it was a bit warm. So socks and got plenty of stick for it. But listen, that's fine. I can take it. Great stuff, Neil. Thank you, million. Thanks for your time. Best of luck. Nice one, Jamie. Appreciate it. Bye. The best League of Ireland podcast in the business. This is Off The Ball. Hey, it's Jamie Moore here. You're on the Off The Ball League of Ireland podcast with you on OffTheBall.com every Wednesday. You can also watch all our interviews on YouTube.com forward slash Off The Ball. I'm very happy to welcome Martin Russell to the studio, former UCD Bray Wanderers and Limerick manager and also Sean Russell who's played in the league for a number of clubs and, and most recently with Limerick and we have a, an exclusive story to tell you as well and we're going to be welcoming on the phone in just a second Barry Hogan from the Limerick Independent Football Trust. Sean and Martin, welcome first. How are you? How are you, Jamie? Yeah, good. 
Thanks yeah, for coming thanks in. Thanks for having me, Shay. So, Sean, you were in with us earlier in the season to tell us your story about a knee injury, Limerick operations, money, rehab and so on. So for people who missed that, just give us a brief overview of, of what you told us then and what's happened since. Yeah, so uh, originally when I came in, we, um, we discussed the incident that had happened. I picked up an injury playing for Limerick against that loan back in March 29th. Um, and uh, it required some uh, immediate surgery. And uh, from there then, it just kind of, uh, it was a difficult enough road um, with the incident where the checks had bounced for the surgery and been billed on to me. Um, and since then, it's just kind of been trying to, trying to resolve that solution and move on with my second operation, which is needed. Um, so it's, it's five months now. Um, I still haven't got my second, second operation. I, I still have the, the, um, the bills being sent to me, not the club, and um, I, I obviously reached out for a little bit of help on the matter, and since then I haven't really got any positive feedback. Um, uh, so I'm kind of in the same situation I was when I, when I previously came into you. Yeah, so since then you've been trying to get Limerick the club at the time to pay for the operation. It hasn't happened. You were also owed expenses. Those checks bounced, and you're in a situation now where at the moment Sports Surgery Clinic and Santry are still chasing you for like over four grand, isn't it? Yeah, so it's um, four thousand one hundred fifty is the um, clini the clinic's fee. Now, my understanding was that there was also a surgeon fee as well, and I, and I believe that hasn't been paid either. Um, it was two separate payments. Um, the bill I received was for the four thousand one hundred fifty, but there's also a surgeon's fee there as well. Which, uh, when I spoke to the clinic recently, they informed us that that hasn't been paid. So, there was two separate payments, and neither of them been paid. Um, they they were paid by the club and. Obviously, it bounced, and uh, it was, was my name on the bill, and I was the one who had the surgery done, and they got billed to me, unfortunately. Um, and yeah, I'm still still just trying to um, get some sort of uh, conclusion to the matter and move on with my second surgery, but that hasn't been the case yet. Yeah, and we'll talk more about your, your rehab and, and plans to be back on the pitch soon. But happy to welcome on the phone, as I mentioned in the introduction, uh, the man, uh, Limerick fan, and also uh, one of the main men in the Limerick Independent Football Trust. His name is Mr. Barry Hogan. Barry, good afternoon. How are you? Hey Jamie, I'm good now, thank you very much. Barry, thanks for having a chat with us. Now this is an exclusive for Off The Ball and having spoken to Martin and Sean over the last number of weeks, this has been something that's been in the pipeline for a while. What are you guys going to do for Sean? Um, well, we we were obviously all present for most of us at the game he got injured in. It was bad tackle. Um, I guess none of us were surprised it, it was probably going to end Sean's season. Um, but we learned much later, uh, it was during the summer, that uh, actually it could have a bigger impact on him, um, particularly for the rest of his career. Uh, we <clears throat> heard that uh, he wasn't able to get on with the second surgery because of an outstanding uh, bill. And that's obviously when we became interested. Uh, we knew there were discussions going on with various stakeholders and, and obviously we hoped there would be a positive outcome from that. But um, recently we heard that uh, nothing had happened. So we got together about uh, 10 days ago. We, we had a meeting. Um, we proposed uh, paying for the uh, first surgery that uh, Sean's talking about. Um, <clears throat> we had a vote that passed unanimously. So um, we got the invoice. I think uh, Sean passed it on to one of our guys. Um, we had to get a cheque written because our bank account, we don't actually pay for online services and things like that because obviously members' funds are uh, precious. Uh, so we had to get a cheque signed, had to get a couple of uh, signatures on it yesterday. That happened yesterday. 
and uh, I'm told that uh, the cheque was sent up to the clinic uh, this morning. So uh, hopefully that gets up there and maybe clears the way for Sean to get on with his rehab and um, uh, that we see him back playing football uh, in the near future. Yeah, fantastic stuff, Barry, and an unbelievable gesture from you guys to do that for Sean. And we mentioned there that you know the outstanding bill is over €4,000, aside from the surgeon's fee as well. That's not a small amount of money for you guys to, you know, be able to come up with and to write a cheque for. So how have you actually been able to come up with, with that money and, and, you know, again, to be able to support Sean in this way in, in the last couple of days, really? Um, well, we, we were lucky enough in that we had uh, the money in our funds at that point. Uh, we didn't have to go out looking for it, but um, obviously we'd welcome anybody else to get in touch to try and help further. Uh, we're... Uh, we're called Limerick Independent Football Trust. We were set up in 2015. Uh, we're registered with the CRO as a company limited by guarantee. Uh, so you become a member, you pay a, uh, a membership fee. It's like 120 euros for the year. Um, so it, it's not a lot. It's sort of an affordable way for regular supporters to actively engage and get a sense of uh, ownership of their club. And you know, if you get strong enough, you might even be able to help uh, shape its direction. Um, but the most important thing is it, it's one member, one vote. Any expenditure requires a vote. Uh, we are independent from the club. That, that's not to say that some of our members don't actively uh, volunteer and help with our match night, but it's important to be independent so that we can make our own choices. Um, usually we'd probably like to support the club from outside, uh, either by giving direct support through specific purchases or, or indirectly, as is more the case with Sean here. So just through our uh, membership, uh, we had the money to be able to pay for this, and we're obviously delighted to be able to do it. Um, you know, we're, we're there for... The, uh, the long-term benefit of senior soccer in the area and, and what's good for that. And, and obviously helping our players who go out and put on our jersey, who go out and try hard. Uh, you know, we expect them to be talented. We expect them to put themselves at risk on the pitch. And the supporters in the stands who really ultimately own the clubs, uh, they need to know that their players will be okay. And, and more importantly, uh, the players need to know if something happens to them out on that pitch that they will be okay too. Um, so that's uh, that's basically it, and, and hopefully Sean gets back playing. It would be great if he plays with Limerick again. If not, uh, you know, happy for him to play with any other club as well. It's just important that our players are looked after and that they're in a good environment and uh, the supporters can feel okay about that. Yeah, and I have Sean and Mark beside me in the studio. You might want to just say a quick word to Barry. It's it's the first time that we've heard this story, Sean, and I know it's been a, a massive pressure on you and your family, this bill standing over you. So for, for the Limerick Independent Supporters Trust, Football Trust, to do this for you is a, a, a massive boost, and I'm sure you want to say thanks. Yeah, um, definitely. Thanks. Thank you very much. It's been it's, it's an amazing gesture. Um, it's a huge weight off my shoulders um, getting that kind of help. And um, just it kind of goes to show you that like there's, there's people out there that want to help and... They have uh, really good intentions about the league and they love the league and, you know, there's a lot of love there for the league and people like Barry reaching out and helping is, is massive in my case and um, it's, it's, it's really helped me mentally and over the last few weeks and communicating with the guys and just kind of giving me a little bit of hope towards getting it resolved has been, been massive and I, I really appreciate it. I can't tell you how enough I appreciate it. 
And Martin, just for you as well, a word of thanks to Barry? Yeah, very much so. I mean, Barry and, and John Hannan had been talking to Sean and they've been trying to keep updated with his situation and they've shown an interest from the, the minute he sustained the injury, which, um, you know, has been comforting. And then to come through with this gesture um, is very admirable and we thank him. Um, I, I still don't think that, um, you know, the Limerick Independent a football trust should be bailing out um, other organisations who have a bigger responsibility in what actually happened to Sean. But we do thank him and um, you know we'll, we'll meet up sometime and um, hopefully, um, as I say, Limerick, it's, it's, it, it happened to Sean at Limerick. My fear is that it could happen to a player at any club. And um, um, But for the time being, we, we thank Barry. Great stuff. Barry Hogan, thanks a million. Enjoy the rest of your day. Well done. Thanks, guys. Take care. And I suppose, Martin, as well, you know, it's a fantastic gesture from the Limerick Independent Football Trust, but at the same time, they shouldn't be having to do this. And I wouldn't have thought so, Jamie. That, that, and my, my problem, again, having, you know, I'm mostly here as the father, um, and Sean's got, you know, the 100% support of his family. But equally, you know, I've been 35 years in the game, um, played in the UK, in Northern Ireland, um, and back home here. And I just think it's, you know, it's shameful and scandalous what's actually happened. And my fears that could happen again unless safeguards are put in place. Um, you know, I've only I've been unfortunate to have probably two two bad injuries where I've been hospitalised, and the club I was at looked after me from the minute those injuries happened. Um, but in Sean's case, that didn't happen for whatever reason. Um, and you know, the, the the football club have an active responsibility, and nor do I believe the football association who who run the clubs, who give the licences out, and you know, it hasn't happened that they've. Um, They've, they've governed it and shown leadership in this matter as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, if those headphones are annoying guys, you might pop them out just getting a small bit of feedback as well, thanks. So, um, I, I suppose you're looking at this from, from a manager's point of view, Martin, you said you're Sean's dad, but you've also managed in the league for a number of years and played in it. In your understanding, what are League of Ireland clubs obliged to do if a player on their watch, under contract, playing for them or training for them, gets injured? Well, my, my understanding, you know, there's, a, there's obviously um, players should be insured when they take to the field for their club. You're talking about the second tier of Irish football. Um, it's a professional arena that's made up in the first division of probably 50 over 50% amateur players. And, you know, to be fair to um, Steve McGuinness and um, the PFAI, I don't think Sean would be in the situation now if he remained a pro. Sean has been a pro um, before, prior to going to America. When he came back from America, he, he kept an amateur status. Um, but um, it shouldn't be the case that an amateur player gets injured and doesn't get looked after, whereas a professional player on the same team gets injured and gets looked after. That shouldn't be the case. Um, and my feelings are, you know, as a, as a professional that's been in the game, it needs to. His case should have been addressed long before now. It hasn't been. To any satisfaction. And um, going forward in the future, to any young player, whether you're an amateur in the Premier Division, First Division, under 19s, 15s, 17s, make sure that you've got guarantees from the club that you'll be looked after if you sustain a career-threatening injury. Yeah, we should say as well, we tried to make contact with Limerick. No answer, no return of phone calls as well. And we contacted the FAI for a statement and they made no comment. So that's where that's at at the moment too. Sean, for you, um, it's been a long process. We mentioned how much of a weight off your shoulders the gesture from the lads is to pay for the operation but you're still in the middle of rehab and I love following your, your story on Instagram of, of your rehab that's been done. Last time you were in a massive knee brace, you're, you're walking now, you're back doing something and you see light at the end of the tunnel even though a second operation is needed and, and it's a long way, you're, you're, you're now actively working to get better because you haven't been getting physio at Limerick, you're, you're back in Dublin at the moment. Yeah, um, yeah so um, when, when I left you last I was kind of, 
I was in a, I was in an okay mindset. I'd been through a lot with it, and I was kind of adamant, you know, like I'm going to make the best of the situation. And I kind of went back down to Limerick, and my rehab with the physio was kind of limited. It was once a week, and um, there was obstacles there with the uh, club kind of holding back my treatment and stuff like that, and um, sessions with the physio, and so in the in the whole with the whole lot of that going on, I was also trying to balance a full time job, and I'd been out of work for six weeks, so financially I was behind on six weeks' wages as well, and uh, it was it was a lot it was a lot to deal with doing your own rehab in the morning before work, and um, eventually it just kind of to be honest, it just broke me down really, and um, I was dealing with a lot, and I was away from home, and um, I just opted to move back to Dublin, and um, it wasn't. Uh, it wasn't it wasn't an easy time for me and I've moved back up to Dublin and um, I've met with um, SoCo Performance Clinic on Earlsworth Terrace not too far from here on Stevens Green and um, the head physio there that's been working with me, Dave Clancy, I previously worked with at UCD when I started off my career. He um, He's uh, gone on to have a great career in physio and uh, he's quite a positive character and he's had a massive influence over the last few weeks for me because uh, although we've been doing a lot of rehab stuff for my knee and um, improving the strengths there, uh, mentally, he's just he's, he's started to shape me back up, and I know I'm not not anywhere near where I probably was when I was playing, but I'm definitely on the on the right track that way, and and he's helped me a lot, um, because I know Dave from his podcast, he has a eat sleep um, perform repeat podcast, and he's quite a positive character, and he's really like implemented that on me as well now over the last few weeks. So um, I've started my pre um, ACL uh, rehab in the plans that we're going to have it. He's put a timeline in place for me, which is what I was lacking, and it's it's been. It's been a huge boost for me over the last few weeks. And Martin, this just hasn't impacted Sean. You're his dad, his mom, you've got other children, you've got a mortgage, you've got other bills to pay. And again, up until today, that thousand euro bill was hanging over Sean and the family, which you guys have had to try and deal with as well as, as getting on with your lives, minding the other kids and everything else. Yeah, but if you're putting a financial estimate on it, you talk about two operations, um, loss of earnings from the work that he's not been able to go in while he's having the operations and rehab. You're talking about paying for his own physio fees to get over two operations. You're probably looking at a bill total of, of, of 20,000 plus, you know? So it's a substantial amount of money for anybody, but um, leaving the money aside, it's, it's, Sean just wants to get back playing football again. And um, the sooner the better for him. And as it would be for any young player of his age. And if we're in a situation as we are now in this country, this, this day and age, that we can't give proper, proper player welfare care, a fundamental, paramount you know, element of the game, if we can't sort that out, then you know, what, what else can we sort out in the future? I mean, surely every player that takes to the field at the level Sean's been at should know going onto the field that if something happens, he'll be looked after. You know? So if in the future um, there's safeguards put in place, um, for, for that this not to happen again, well then uh, it'll be worthwhile coming and speaking about it. In the meantime, we're, we're going to work really hard to give Sean the support um, that he needs um, to get him back just playing football again, which he loves. And Sean, we'll finish on that. Um, second operation is in the tracks too. What's your understanding of who, how that will be paid for or what will happen? In the, like Limerick, again, have an obligation for me to do it. They don't return my phone calls. I'm not sure if they return yours. Where is that going to go, do you, do you think? Yeah, no, um, the way it is now is that um, I'm going to look at doing it. Um, maybe some fundraising might be the best way to do it. Looking to get the funds together ourselves. I think um, I've kind of hoped over the last few months, as I said, that stuff will get get help and be resolved. And it's come to a, it's come to a, an end really for me now. And I just want to move on with it and try fundraise it ourselves and, 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 and really get on with just getting that second surgery now. And we want people like the FAI Martin and the people involved in licensing to listen to stories like this. And when Limerick are up for a renewal of their license next year, 
we hear it all the time, clubs who owe money to different, you know, whether it be a bus company or a kit supplier or a hotel or whatever it is, this is even on the next level. And I think so. Limerick are still playing. They will probably get a license next year and this is sitting there and no one wants to do anything about it bar you guys and people who goes and want to highlight and obviously of course Barry and the people from the supporters trust yeah, who, who knows what the future of football is in the country um, but I say if you can't get player welfare right then you know the, it's, it's a big big issue for me and um, you know I'd like to think that this doesn't happen again that Sean's, Sean does get you know um, get back playing soon and um, as soon as he can and as I said to you, that this, this, the safeguards are there for any young player to take the field that they know they're going to be looked after. Yeah, Sean back playing and Martin, maybe you back managing as well. You've managed in the league before and the Longford job is free at the moment. The Pats job, you're a former Pats player. And Do you have the, the goo to get back in after your, your three previous clubs? Well, I've always had the, the, the goo, as you say, Jamie, to go and do as well um, and be a positive impact on any club that I've been involved with. You know, I'm still doing stuff in football outside of the league at the moment. If the right opportunity comes back, then um, yeah, it'd be appealing, you know. Will you see your dad back in the dugout, Sean? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think he's got loads to offer. You know, um, she's still a young manager, so it'd be good, good for him. most clubs. Yeah, I imagine. And I love in the league the way, like you know, there's different people playing against each other, managing. But you guys are both. You've been Sean's manager at two clubs, and I think have you managed again? Have you managed? Have you played against each other when you were a manager and you were a player? Because you, you were at UCD together yeah. and Limerick. I don't think so. No, I don't think so. I think um, yeah. No, I think I would have been in the first division. Well, you would have been at Limerick. So yeah, I think I was uh, one at the time. So. And what was it like having your dad as your manager? It was fine, it was okay. I mean, like, I, I came through the ranks at UCD with probably five or six other lads, Hugh Douglas, Chris Lyons, Dean Clark. We all came up through the same under-19s team and into the first team where I was managing, and uh, it was it was fine. It was just, it was natural. Um, it was natural going into the squad, and we were aware of the setup, and then obviously the opportunity came up with Limerick as well. Again, went with three or four players that I was familiar with, Paul O'Connor, Dean Clark, Sean Harden. We'd all played together at UCD, so each time I did, I kind of went with bodies that I was used to, and it was it was just quite natural. I understood the way you played the game, and it was the way I enjoyed playing it as well. So it was it was it was good. And you able to shout at your own son on the pitch as, as you would any other player, or, or, or does your yeah, wife go? Don't I, shout at him. I, I always try to judge him on his performance like I do any player. But again, just just again, you know what 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 Sean's case has shown again when you're judging players on being equal. You know there is a grey area there between amateur player and, and, and professional player in in, in how. You know how they've got security and you know the, the the strength of the PFA as opposed to an amateur player getting injured. It highlights that, um, and I just want uh, the betterment of the game to to be there in the future. And as I said, um, whether I'm managing Sean or any player, I think player for player welfare is paramount in getting things right in in, fo- in the football world in Ireland. Yeah, well said, lads. It wouldn't be a great story as well for Martin back in the dugout and Sean back playing maybe on the same team. That will be brilliant. Lads, thanks a million for coming in. You're welcome, Jamie. Uh, lastly, on this week's League of Ireland podcast, two bits of uh, news into the managerial world. Harry Kenny gone from St. Pat's. St. Pat's hereby announced that Harry Kenny has resigned from his position as first team manager by mutual consent. Club chairman Gareth Kelleher would like to thank Harry for his professionalism over the last year and in his earlier role as assistant manager. Harry would like to thank all involved with St. Pat's for support given to him and wishes the club the very best of luck for the future. Magic Tarnogrodsky, of course, the new UCD manager. We spoke to him on the That's What I Call Sport on Sunday after they knocked St. Pat's out of the cup. They played in the league again, or his first game in the league, should I say, on Monday night and beaten 3-0 by Dundalk but a decent start to uh, Magic at UCD and the fixtures this weekend we're back to league action too as well of course before we uh, get ready for the next round of the FAI Cup all the games take place this Friday 3 at 7.45 it's Cork City against Sligo Rovers it's UCD against Dundalk uh, Waterford against Derry City at 8 o'clock Finn Harps against St Pat's and what a match I'll be at Tallis Stadium reporting live 8 o'clock 
Shamrock Rovers against Bowes. The biggest game in Irish football takes place this coming weekend. In the first division as well, there's only three league fixtures left in the division and Shells, of course, looks like they're going to win the league title. They're five points clear with three matches left after the results uh, weekend before the Cup took place. And uh, Again, you'll be looking forward to seeing Shells back in the Premier. Four games take place on Friday at a quarter eight. It's alone against Drogheda, Galway against Limerick, Shells against Bray. Again, Bray still have slim hopes of making the playoffs, so that's an important game. And Wexford against Longford. Longford, of course, with uh, Dara Doyle in caretaker charge after Neil Fenn's departure and one game on Saturday at 7 o'clock it's Cove against Cabinteely Cabinteely as well trying to make it to the playoffs and the best of luck and well done should I say to everybody on Sunday at the uh, Michael Locker Davis testimonial match Locker unfortunately passed away late last week and a great turnout of uh, former League of Ireland players and managers and fans to uh, support Locker and his family and the FAI Cup quarterfinals take place the weekend after next Crumlin United the last non-league team left they're at home to Bohemians that game we understand may take place in Richmond Park because we don't think Captain's Road and Crumlin will be uh, deemed okay to host that game the other game defending champions Dundalk against Waterford away it's Galway at home to Shamrock Rovers and the other game takes place in Sligo on the Saturday we think it's Sligo Rovers against UCD so we're nearly getting ready for the FAI Cup quarterfinals and next week on the podcast we're going to be joined by Stephen Henderson the former Cove and Waterford manager and he's going to tell us about the formation very soon of the new League of Ireland League Managers Association we'll see you next week folks bye bye Off the Balls League of Ireland Podcast